welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their lives through full impact mindfulness. There's no admission fee, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. Good evening. I'm Jim Ellermeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist, joined by my good friend, co-host and producer of this program, Mr. Mike. Hello. Mr. Mike, there's been a lot of talk recently about coming out of the pandemic and the aftermath and the collateral damage to people after it supposedly opened up again. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of people's, uh, uh, you know, reaction to being, whether it be cooped up or, or the things going on or just a general vibe, I don't know. Well, because of all the isolation and because of things opened up, it has given people much insight and much introspection into their life. Mm-hmm. So many people have taken a reassessment about where they're at and where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people found out that, hey, you know what? I've been in the wrong movie theater watching the wrong movie for a long time. <laughs> Isn't that embarrassing? Yes. And uh, as a behavioral health therapist operating Namaste Holistic Counseling, where we are seeing this more and more. Actually, it's like a tsunami. It's more of a flood of dissatisfied, depressed, anxious individuals trying to find some direction. And as many people have told us, Mike, they've lost the joy in their lives. So dealing with a lot of coping skills that people have, unfortunately, during the uh, pandemic, many people uh, chose a coping skill of drugs and alcohol. Now, is this is this from people losing the things that they enjoyed when everything shut down, or is this is this something else that I'm not thinking about? It's a part of isolation. Mm-hmm. It's a part of not being able to connect socially with friends and family. Not able to have new experiences. Not able to participate in things they used to enjoy, like mm-hmm. going to concerts, going to sporting events, yeah. having just get-togethers. Uh, the venues being open, being closed, uh, museums being closed. Uh, actually, people like to go to casinos. Casinos being closed, uh, businesses being closed, and being unable to direct their outlets. And uh, when this isolation started, the pandemic started back in March of 2020, I know that a lot of people were making jokes about being day drinking and uh, sitting around in sweatpants and uh, doing as they choose, uh, talking to their dogs and cats, uh, enjoying uh, day drinking. However, uh, 18, 24 months later, Mike, it's not so f- much. It's not so funny anymore. Uh, too much of a good thing in some cases, right? I, I see so many people like all they talk about is the day they'll retire. And I think that's the ideal, right? Uh, I, I talked with some people that uh, do some very uh, uh, labor-intensive, you know, some event work yesterday, the, the last week that I worked with. And, and it was like, you know, when the pandemic first happened, they're like, oh, we get a vacation. And then after like uh, two months, they're like, oh, or four months, they're like, oh, okay, okay, we got to get back to this, right? Well, a lot of people, when they're being asked to come back to work, they're having a real real assessment of their lives about whether they want to continue what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, recently on some past episodes, we've uh, talked and dis- had a good discussion with people, retail workers who worked during the pandemic. 
Mm-hmm. So what's happening now is uh, we're dealing with the aftermath of the addiction issue, Mike. Absolutely. And many times we'll get a call. I'll personally get a call. Could you help my son? Could you help my daughter? Could you help my husband? Mm-hmm. Could you help my wife? But one of the things that I always ask them, Mike, is who's helping you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's helping you? Because I know I, I can hear the pain coming through in their voice. And I often say, do you think you might want to come in and let's talk about you? So one of the hardest things to do, Mike, is to how to approach someone who you think that may be an addiction. Yeah, and yeah. one of the one of the things that we see is there's so many words that are unspoken. There's so many issues that we try to avoid because we don't want to upset someone. We're hoping that they're going through a phase. And unfortunately, a lot of people just don't want to get what they call their hands dirty by dealing with a situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's, you know, that's not my problem. I can't get involved in that problem. You know, that's their problem to solve. Or I have my own problems, right, is, is kind of the attitude. Or you tell people, you may dismiss, you clean it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your troubles are of your own making. Don't bother me with your problems. Figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, as everyone as everyone probably knows from the many shows that we've done, uh, everyone knows that I'm in long-term recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. And one of my favorite topics is going to rehabs and carrying the message and helping people understand that they're not weak-willed, mm-hmm. that they're not mentally deficient, mm-hmm. that there's something wrong with them, and that they're doing this intentionally to themselves. Mike, I don't know anybody that wants to be an alcoholic. Right, right. Who who wants to be under crushing addiction, right? Like who you know, they we that's that's not exactly the goal. That's not the end game here. No, I don't think that most people out there understand that being in addiction is the hardest full time job that any human being will have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's say people who have opiate addictions, most people think that they're worthless, weakless, weak. Uh, selfish that all they're doing is they're living off society and that isn't true uh, the if you talk to any drug addicts people who are tortured by addiction uh, and you ask them when it was the last time it was fun they wouldn't even be able to tell you no because it's really just a functional thing at that point isn't it it's just it's just trying to maintain a status quo or maintain you know above the line People use opiates not to be sick, Mike, not to get high. What most people don't understand is that withdrawal from opiate addiction can make you sick enough to wish you were dead. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why people keep going out there. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you think of is, what can I do not to be sick today? Mm Mm-hmm. Generally, when people into recovery, I don't think people get together and say, hey, let's rob a house just for old time's sake. So what brings people out of it? What brings people out of it is moments of clarity mm-hmm. and people understanding and people listening. So generally, when people come to us and say, hey, here's my issue, we don't offer advice, we don't give suggestions, what we do is, what do you want to do about it? Mm-hmm. And what we do is we ask, we 
keep impressing on people that they're important and that they have choices and that we'll support them. You really need to reinforce at that point. You can't make a decision. You can't uh, uh, set a mindset for these people. You know, they have to, with help, uh, uh, but still arrive to it by themselves in their own heads. Well, we try to help people understand that addiction is not a choice. Mm -hmm. And once you get ensnared, we often say that the chains of addiction are so are so light that you don't know how strong they are until you try to break them. And we help people understand that asking for help is not a weakness. It's a strength. I let everybody know that everyone in recovery is my hero. Mm -hmm. And that's just not therapist sappy talk. That comes directly from my heart. And then, and this this goes along with something, and we talked about this a little bit beforehand. But there's a, something in professional wrestling that happened. You know, of course, that's my wheelhouse. Um, and there's a, a, a big time wrestler, uh, John Moxley, formerly known as Dean Ambrose. If you you know WWE uh, uh, and, uh, and all elite wrestling AEW, uh, but he was checked into a re- he checked himself into rehab. Uh, and it was it was interesting because he had just had a, a, a his his first first child was born several months ago. Uh, he's married, uh, 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 and, and, and had a book literally come out that day and was booked on some high profile matches the next day. And, and I, 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 I was really impressed with everybody's like, you know, they didn't hide it in the company and the other wrestlers and the other coworkers. The first thing they said right off the bat on the show, they're talking about it. They said, "We're you know, everybody from the, the CEO on down was like, he checked himself in. We're really proud of for him and and we're here for him. You know, like that was that was a very positive, you know, like push for things. Nobody's saying, you know, he's 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 screwed his life up because he's he's, you know, in addiction and just went into rehab in the middle of like some well, maybe the most important week of his career. Right. The point is that he gets it taken care of, correct? That's the most important thing. So I tell people quite often when they say, that was the worst day of my life, I try to help them understand that was probably the best day of their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what we look at is we look at what can we what can we build out of. And acceptance is always the prelude to change, Mike. Mm-hmm. And when we have these type of situations, these type of, let's say, crises in our lives, then we find out exactly who our friends are. Mm-hmm. We find out the people who walk the walk with us and not just talk the talk. So I'll ask everyone out there right now, and I know we've talked about this before, but I always ask people, if everything were taken away from you, health, money, whatever you have, who'd be standing with you at the end? Who'd be standing with you? I often ask people, who do you trust so much in your life that if they said, fall, I'll catch you, you'd fall without hesitation? Mm -hmm. Those are the important people in your life. We don't need to have posers. We don't need to have all the followers. What we want to have is true bonded life companions and and let them know who they are are and tell them why it's interesting you can you can hit the rock bottom you can you can whether it be that or or other things that could happen in your life whether it be a death in the family or something and 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 it takes something like that for you to realize that if you do have that structure and if you do isn't that you know 
so great to know you do know for sure you have that reinforcement. Yes. Mm-hmm. So quite often I'll ask people when I first meet them, I'll say, tell me what's good about being you. Mm-hmm. And Mike, every single, almost every single person has never been asked that question. Mm-hmm. They're usually flabbergasted by saying, I've never, I've never thought about that before. Absolutely. Absolutely. So generally then what I suggest to people, I ask them, I say, do you know the difference between right and wrong? Mm-hmm. I'll say, do you have a moral compass? Can you be dependable? Can you tell the truth? And can you treat people with courtesy and respect? And those are the five greatest attributes I believe that a human being can have. So you find out who your true friends are when you recognize and accept your part and your responsibility in something. So, um, you know, people believe that drug, oh, it's so dirty. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Oh, we don't talk about Mary. We don't talk about Johnny's problem. Uh, So, however, if you had diabetes and you said, I'm going to go get help for my diabetes, wouldn't everyone rally around you? Absolutely. People that are going through cancer treatments, they're talked about being so brave. They're talked, oh, we want to rally behind them. We want to, we want to have a fundraiser. We want to support these people as much as we can. You don't see a lot of fundraisers for somebody's rehab, do you? I've never seen one. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yes. I've never seen a GoFundMe yeah. GoFundMe page. Hey, I need to go to rehab. Mm-hmm. I need some help. Mm-hmm. So but mainly people say, it's your own fault. Snap out of it. Mm-hmm. You can be, you can, you can do this if you choose to. You're weak willed. I've never seen anybody go through cancer wards, kicking the beds, telling them to snap out of it. <laughs> yeah. So these things are, but they're so proud of people who deal with, but no one seems to be that proud of people who deal with the rug addiction. Uh, I'm hoping that if you have a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife, a partner, someone in your life that is in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction, I hope you I hope you tell them how proud you are of them. Absolutely. Because nobody who hasn't been knows what it's like to crawl out of that hole and we can't do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. So John Moxley, my hat is off to you. I'm proud of you. John, I am proud of you because what we can do is we can be a role model for others. And in order to carry the message, you have to have one. Mm -hmm. You have to have one. So I I like to tell everybody that everybody in recovery is our hero and you don't have to lower your eyes to another human being on earth. You'd have no problem telling anybody that you're a cancer survivor, would you? Nope. You'd have no problem telling anybody that you're dealing with diabetes in a successful way and you're going to beat this thing. Mm -hmm. So give me a reason why you couldn't tell somebody I'm in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction and I work at this every single day. And, and, and I'm so proud of, uh, we've had uh, a few politicians in here. One, you know, one that, uh, you know, I think they won a uh, council seat, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, uh, and, and around the city that, that are, are that just step up and say, I am, you know, it, you know, that I'm in recovery from drugs and alcohol and, and when they're seat, they're destigmatizing this idea. And that's what needs to happen. So more people 
uh, you know, I want to say it's easier, but, you know, it, it, it hopefully takes a barrier away from these people moving on with their lives with the, with the, with, with these situations. So when a high profile person like John comes out and says, Hey, uh, it would have been easy for him to say to that company to say to them, Hey, let's keep this on a down low. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe someone from his family saying, Hey, we don't want, we don't want John to be bes- named to be besmirched. We don't want to have this stigma attached to John. Just, can you say that he's away or that he's uh, broke his leg? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then people would uh, rally around him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that somebody would help to rally around him now to give him the encouragement and support so when he comes out, he can carry that message. Absolutely. So people don't want to talk about that. It used to be that when, uh, when Mary maybe became a unwed mother, it's amazing how many people would go off and they're visiting their aunt in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And that used to happen when I was in high school a few years ago. Okay. No one, no one ever talked about that because that was, that was a dirty little secret, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So let's not make this a dirty little secret anymore. When somebody, when somebody is dealing with drug or alcohol addiction, I'd like for you to be able to tell them, my friend, you don't have to live like this anymore. What do you want to do about it? You have choices. I'll support them. So I'm sure that you know that you've had friends in that have dealt with drug and alcohol addiction. I'm certain that everyone out there has had people uh, in their life affected by drugs and alcohol. Mike, when I was uh, when I was dealing with a lot of uh, medical assisted treatment people, particularly Suboxone, I remember people would come, particularly older people, and they'd come in and they couldn't even look at me, Mike. They'd, their eyes would bore holes in the floor. And I remember one particular gentleman telling me, I used to uh, I used to really degrade and think horribly of people who had this type of addiction. And he says, no, I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I said, I'm glad you are, and I'm glad you have the strength to admit that. And now you understand that people who have this type of addiction aren't scum of the earth and they deserve help and they deserve every opportunity to get well. So how do you think the war on drugs has been going, Mike? (laughs) Oh, 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 this idea that everybody that's on drugs, possessing drugs is an absolute criminal and needs to go to jail and not getting treated for the sickness that they have. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's been going swimmingly. Yeah. Just going well. huh? Yep. 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 So what we want to do is we want to provide treatment. It's really hard to fight against the government setting a stigmatization policy for the rest of us to uh, 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 rise above that. You so, know. so the policy has always been punish drug users. Yes. Punish drug users. Yep. And punish, cut off the supply. Burn the burn the poppy fields. Burn those things, okay? And but, cut them off from the things that could be helping them get to the other side. So, Mike, if we provided enough treatment, if we provided enough education, positive reinforcement, knowledge knowledge is the key for everything. There could be mountains of heroin, but if there wasn't anybody that was interested in using it, it would just sit there, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So what we want to do is we want to provide people a better way to live. We want to provide people with opportunities and 
We want to provide people with hope. Mm-hmm. Hope is one of the things that, although I'm a behavioral health therapist and I cannot write prescriptions to take to the pharmacy, I can write a prescription for hope. And we can write a prescription about, well, here's what we did about it. Here's what you can do about it. So perhaps, Mike, uh, after this program, perhaps you could go back and provide some links for some of the recovery stories that we've had for people on this show. Absolutely. Perhaps you could pull up some links. I know that I've given my recovery story on this show, and recently I recorded a online version of uh, Keep Coming Back AA Speakers that this uh, young lady out in California is trying to record recovery stories for posterity. Mm-hmm. And I, I applaud that. I applaud it. So everyone out there, again, is our hero. And as often as what we've done, we love to share recovery stories on this show. And everybody is in recovery from something. Everybody is in recovery from something, whether it's drugs, alcohol, gambling, chewing your fingernails, or eating too many banana popsicles. <laughs> you hit a couple of mine there, I think. <laughs> so what we try to do on this show is provide a platform for people to share with others, hey, here's what I did about it. So when someone comes up to us, someone comes up to me and says, man, I can't stop using, I can't stop drinking, I don't know what to do. I'll say, well, I think you know what not to do. And then I'll say, here's what I did about it. If you care to pick on any of that and share that and incorporate it in your life, we'll do all you can. You know, in 12-step recovery, we have a responsibility pledge, Mike. And what that says, I am responsible. When anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand in this particular case of AA to be there. And for that, I am responsible. So for every person that we try to help and they say, what can I do? I tell them, I said, everyone in recovery has a special message that you can carry to someone else. There's no one who knows. People will come up and say, I can't stop. No one knows how I feel. That's so often. No one knows how I'm feeling. No one knows the pain that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And no one can know the pain that you're in. But we can say, you don't feel like the Lone Ranger. Here's what we did about it. Yes, I understand. So normally when you tell a person that's not in addiction that you can't stop, one of the first questions is, why not? One of the first questions is asked is, why not? As much as my mother loved me, and she was talked about this many times. She was the last friend I had. And when I would go to her crying and just saying, I can't stop as much as she loved me, her first words to me would be, why not? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing, no matter what you're going through. I went through something uh, a couple of years ago and, and finding somebody that actually can help, that can help understand and help navigate. And not everybody, certainly not everybody's equipped for that. No, no. Neither you or I have ever been pregnant. Mm -hmm. So that would be like me and you sitting down with a pregnant female and her talking about her changing emotions, how she's feeling physically, uh, depression that she's experiencing or anxiety. And we would sit there and say, oh, we know how you feel. That is impossible. Mm -hmm. That is impossible. 
So what we want to do is that's why people, I tell people that I'm going to hold them to the fact that they have a responsibility to carry the message of recovery to everyone. And John, I'm going to ask you, when you get out of rehab, I'm going to ask you to commit, and I'm certain that you will. One of the greatest joy is seeing the light come on in someone else's life, to carry that message to another person and see them recover. I can't think of any, I can't think of anything better than that. So for everyone out there, if you have a recovery story to share, please, please contact us and Mike will show you how to do that. So at the end of every podcast, what we do, and a big prescription for hope is going to be written to everyone out there. We offer this prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another till all are free. Namaste. You're important. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, Click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.